Friends, welcome to another True Tone Lounge. And today we are honored to have one of the uh, premier, you know, pickup winders and a, and a friend, and uh, ra rarely interviewed, rarely photographed. And uh, so, just thank you, Ron, for uh, for taking the time to uh, you know sit down so that we could have have a little chat and tell your story. Well, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. You know, I feel uh, feel honored and and. Uh, you know, we've known each other for a long time, so it's fun to do this. Yeah, well, cool. All right, so uh, I, I'll just say, you know, we met out on the road, uh, you know, kind of close to 20 years ago at Humphreys by the Bay. And and uh, and then, uh, you know, of course, I was working for Brad Paisley and, and you were you were kind of uh, doing kind of some consulting and sales work with uh, Alan Hamill at the time. But let's let's get back a little a little further. I was you know, in some of our, you know, chats found out that your, your dad was a, was a country music singer and performer. Tell us a, a little bit about that. Yeah. Yeah. My dad, when he grew up in Northern Oklahoma around Enid uh, area, Marshall, little small town. Um, you know, my grandfather played guitar and sang. So my dad at a very early age started singing and performing, you know, around clubs in, in Oklahoma. And then he ended up getting a radio show. Um, I think it was in Enid. And he would, I think it was like a four hour show and he would do that, I think it was once a week. And, uh, you know, he'd get on there, he'd play music, play records, and then he would sing and yodel and play his own songs. And, and, and literally, I think he was 13 when he started that show. Wow. And, and he had it on, he worked there for a couple of years. And yeah, the connection with... Uh, Bob Wills actually is one day he was doing the show and the manager of the show that was there with him came in and said, Hey, Alan, there's some people here that want to see you outside. So my dad went outside and there was the, uh, the bus and with Bob Wills and the Texas playboys. So, uh, and they said to my dad that, Hey kid, we, we listened to your show and we love your show, you know, and, and Bob Wills invited him to play at a few, um, I think County fairs, you know, in that area. And I think down in Texas also. So, so my dad went and did some shows with him. And uh, I think he did it two different years. The first year, it was pretty crazy because those guys were pretty wild. The first band before Eldon Shamblin joined in. And, um, and I don't have this story exactly straight, but, but I, I think it was pretty crazy with my dad tagging along at that age. So he went the next year um, and Eldon kind of took him under his wing and um, my dad kind of hung with him. And uh, anyway, he did that. He also uh, played with Jimmy Wakely, was another guy that my dad played with. Um, and I think my dad had a pretty good career. He had a fantastic voice, could play all the swing, change stuff, was, was really talented, great songwriter. But my grandfather pushed him really hard trying to get him to come out to California with Roy Rogers and start that whole, you know, Roy Rogers country thing out here, cowboy yeah. thing. 
And my dad rebelled against it. And he ended up joining the Marines at 17 years old and went over to Guadalcanal and quit music. Wow. So, um, and then he, he had a career, he became a chief warrant officer in the Marine Corps and kind of went that route. But, um, but that's what kind of was a springboard for all of us in the family. I've got four, uh, three brothers and sister. And really all of us either played guitar, bass, sang, you know, growing up, because my dad always had guitars around. And, uh, you know, after dinner, we'd pull out the guitars and we'd all be playing and harmonizing. And so at an early age, you know, that was a big part of our, my life and, and our, our family's life. So uh, was always around music growing up. Yeah. So. What do you recall? Do you have any idea what you, what era that was when he got to play some with Bob Wills? I mean, that kind of narrows it down some that Eldon Shamblin was in the band, but. Uh... Yeah, I think Eldon came on a little later into the band. And so my dad, let's see, he was born in 20. And yeah. so, you know, we're talking, you know, mid late thirties, um, yeah. you know, when he was, when he was doing that. So, wow. um, yeah, that's yeah. Uh, really, you know, when, when he was really creating, when Bob Wills was really creating that, that style and it was all you know, coming yeah. together. So, wow. Yeah. That's a, that's a really neat connection. So then you personally, of course, you grew up with, with your dad playing and, and, uh, and then of course, you know, being around your family and such, when, when did you start getting more serious about the electric guitar and or just the guitar in general? Well, you know, I mean, growing up, our house was like a revolving door for musicians. Like my brothers were in various bands, pretty popular bands in the, in the Bay area where I grew up, San Francisco Bay area. And, um, you know, our, we, I, I had a really great upbringing. My, my family was really close. My mom was like the mom to everybody, you know, and, and so everybody liked to hang out at our house. And so it wasn't only rehearsals, but it was, you know, all the time there was musicians hanging out at our house. And uh, so, I mean, we had acoustic guitars all over, but then my brothers had the electric guitars, you know, like hanging in their rooms were old Telecasters and old Strats and Les Pauls oh, and all okay. that stuff. And uh, so, you know, I, but I pretty much played acoustic guitar. When I was a kid growing up around that, I really didn't play electric guitar. Everything was acoustic. And, um, and then I didn't get into electric guitar until later, you know, after I had, you know, gone out on my own and, and, uh, and just thought, well, you know, I'll go down and I'll buy like a new Les Paul and, and a new Telecaster and kind of get into this. And that was probably early eighties. And, uh, and, but, you know, I bought a 52 reissued Tele, I think it was at the time and a, like an 11 pound Les Paul that sounded horrible. And, uh, so I struggled along playing those for a while and acoustic guitar, but my interest kind of went to different areas you know i was racing motocross at the time and i was really serious about that and training and traveling doing the races um so i did that you know when i was in northern california um and then went to work at the lab at lawrence livermore laboratories and uh was busy doing that you know doing that career and um and then we we took a job down here when um I work for the Department of Energy and there's a, a fusion reactor down here in San Diego. So we came down here for a one year stint in San Diego to work on that, that project. 
And that ended up being where I've, I've been here ever since for 34 years or whatever it was. And then when I moved down here, I got into uh, triathlons and bicycle racing because this is the mecca of, you know, where all the people come and train for that. And the weather is so good. So, you know, my interests were just different for a long time. And I think what kind of launched me really with this whole crazy thing about the guitar and the pickups and all that was um, probably in the early 90s, I was up at Guitar Center in Hollywood and um, in the vintage room. And I, I knew a guy that worked there from Texas. And he said, you got to see this uh, broadcaster that we have in, in the back. So he brings out this broadcaster and, um, and he plugged me into, I'll never forget, it was a 53 uh, Tweed Deluxe. So the 5B3 circuit yeah. with the octal tubes. And I just remember plugging into that and he off to the side there. And it was like, it was like a religious experience. You know, the hearing that sound and the feel of the way the guitar integrated with the amp. And it's like, I was playing things that I'd never played before. You know, um, it, like the thing just was in autopilot. And I remember just looking at the guitar in my lap, you know, thinking, what is this? You know, from an engineering background and kind of a mindset, you know, you hear the old stories of the smoke and the sweat and the beer spilled in the guitars. And there is part of that, you know, but, um, but there was something just magical about that guitar. And, and, you know, and the more I learn about it too over these years, the amp too, that integration of the entire set you know, and, but that just got me thinking at that time that I wonder if I could figure out what this is, you know, cause I knew it's an old guitar, it's old wood, had the hell plate out of it over the years. Um, but you've got the electronics in it. And I yeah. thought, I just wonder what it is, you know, the materials or what makes it so special. And, you know, I went around there and played other old tellies that were good, but they weren't like that. And then I went out to the front of Guitar Center, picking up the new guitars, and some were good, but you plug them in, and they weren't even close yeah. to that old broadcaster. So that's what kind of got me going, and that was uh, that was before, you know, I thought of ever doing this crazy thing of making pickups. But um, so then I ran across an old Telecaster that um, at a, a classical guitar store up in L.A. And um, knew the guy that ran the place. And he said, hey, if you want this, I'll sell it to you cheap. And it was a 64 telly. Um, that was a basket case. The neck was off of it. Body loose in there. The, you know, the everything was taken apart. Yeah. So I got it. Um, brought it down here to some local guys. And um, and I said, hey, who who's good at putting a telly back together? And one of the guys down here in Encinitas, uh, they carried custom shop fender stuff. And that's when Alan Hamill's name came up. And he said, well, Alan Hamill is the guy. He's like the telly guy. And so that's how I got introduced to Alan. I looked him up. He was up in Riverside with Fred Stewart. They had left the custom shop the previous year and started A&F Guitars, Alan and Fred. So uh, took the guitar up there and met Alan. And that's, that's, uh, that was the introduction of that. So, so how, did, how did it get into... Uh... So of course, when, when I met you, you were kind of, you were to a degree, you were promoting Alan's pickup. So how did, how did it progress from you getting him to work on a guitar to kind of working with him? 
Well, so I took the telly to Alan and, and I said, Hey, can you put this back together? So he did, did a great job, refretted it, you know, kind of tweaked it back together. And then while I was there talking to him about this, there was a uh, custom shop relic telly sitting there in a stand. And, and I said, Hey, what's that? He said, well, check it out. So I plugged into an old vibroverb that they had in the shop, which isn't a bad amp, you know, no, not at all. And, uh, and kind of the same thing when I started playing it's like, holy crap, you know, this is a new guitar now, but now we've got that sound, you know, what is that? And so I asked Alan about, it. I said, did you put old pickups in this guitar? He goes, well, kind of, he said, they're, they're my take on old pickups. And uh, that was the, the Blackguard pickups that he and Fred were making together. And they had just started doing that and just started selling the pickups. So uh, I said, well, look, you know, and we put actually the stock pickups in my 64 telly and they were horrible. The bridge pickup was like rip your head off bright. And the neck pickup was like throwing a moving blanket over the guitar. So which can be typical in a lot of old guitars. They don't always sound great like everybody thinks. Yep. You know, and yep. so we tried those out. And then I said, Alan, let's put a set of yours in there. You know, so we stuck some Blackguard pickups in it and the guitar just sounded like a million bucks, you know? So, you know, and then I went back up there a few times and I took another guitar up there and, and then uh, Alan and I were talking one day and he said, would you be interested in, he said, you know, you're good with people, you know, what's out there at the time I was all over the uh, tele, uh, telecaster discussion page. Yeah. Um, the, the, the first one. And uh and so he said, you know, you've got connections and all that, it seems. He said, you seem good at this. Would you be interested in selling our pickups? And he said, why don't we do like 10 at a time? So I would buy 10 sets from him and Fred, and then I would sell them. And, uh, and then about that time is when Alan and Fred went different ways. Um, and so then Alan, I stayed with Alan and worked with him on basically retailing pickups. And... Um, you know, went well for a while. And then Alan just got really behind and couldn't really produce the pickups to fulfill the orders. So we got really backed up and, you know, a lot of upset people, you know, and um, it just became a real hassle trying to juggle, you know, fending off everybody that we had taken their money through PayPal. And, uh, and then, you know, I, I really, I couldn't go up there. I wasn't whining. I didn't know how to do it at the time. And, and I could only pressure Alan so much. So um, I did that for, I think, a year and a half with Alan. And then finally, I had to kind of go my own direction. And uh, so I tried to fulfill all the orders we could at the time. And then um, to fulfill a lot of the orders that were outstanding there, um, I kind of ran out of choices and I started making pickups. Now, Alan had never shown me how to wind a pickup. He wouldn't do that. And, um, but I was buying all the parts. I knew where all the parts were from. And then he and I, over that year and a half, we worked on prototype pickups. I'd come up with an idea and Alan would jump on it and we'd make that pickup. And we, so we tried all kinds of different stuff, crazy stuff like loading. You know, one idea was to take like a Telecaster bridge pickup and put Alnico fives under the strings. And then in between the Alnico fives, Alnico threes. And, and see what that sounded like. Yeah. And some of them sounded okay. And some of them sounded pretty 
disastrous, you know, but we were both really on to trying stuff because that's what I do in my day job. You know, I, I build, design and build diagnostics and, and I've always been the type guy, if you hand me a transistor radio, I'm going to tear it apart and try to figure out what makes it sound, make the sound, you know? So Alan and I worked together really well. Um, but the problem was getting out the pickups. Yeah. It just, you know, it, it just didn't work. So I started doing it and then I thought, you know, here's all the pieces. I have the pieces to the, to the pie here. I'm going to make the pie. So I just started whining and I started trying all different parameters, um, figuring out whining patterns, tensions and all that. And, um, and it took a while, but then I started fulfilling a lot of those orders that weren't filled. Yeah. We're, you know? we're the money, with yeah. Where the money had already been taken and you didn't have it. Yeah. yeah and I was up front with people. I said, look, you know, um, these are not Hamels, um, but you're probably not going to get the Hamels, you know, and I'd lost contact with Alan. Yeah. And um, so, uh, so I, I just started doing it myself and then right away, that's about the time I met you. Yeah. And that was that transitional time, you know, where, uh, you know, I got you the pickups for Brad you know, we worked on different types. That's where I came up with the, uh, because of you and Brad, that was the whole uh, 50, 60 thing. Right. Alnico fives on the wound strings and the A3s on the other side to kind of come up with the, the Bakersfield versus Blackguard. Right. The mix sound. Of, the, of the two. Yeah. And I think it was that, you know, you and Brad were saying that Brad, he riffs around so much on the bass strings that sometimes those old tellies, you can kind of get lost. The, yeah. the low strings don't track real fast. Yeah, they don't, they don't, they compress and they don't track fast enough. So when you're playing really fast on the low strings with an, a somewhat overdriven amp, whether it's a, a Vox or a Z or whatever, or train wreck, the, yeah, that was, that was a problem. And so that was, uh, that, that fixed that. So, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, just, it took me a while to kind of, you know, I kind of look at the whole thing as like a, you know, it's like a tennis racket, you know, you've got a sweet spot and um, you have to find where that sweet spot is and you have to play the game in that sweet spot. And, you know, with so many different pieces to pickups, it's not rocket science. In fact, it's a very simple thing of putting wire around magnets. But if you look at it from a physics standpoint, what's really going on, it's a very complicated thing, the coil and the way the magnetic fields are and the way you know, you get, you get all these different, uh, you know, the way the, the signal goes through the wire, you know, it doesn't go through the center of the wire. It, it only tracks around the outside of the wire in a skinning effect. Then you get all these magnetic coupling interactions between the coils. So you've got like machine wound, you know, where the, where the conductors are laying right next to each other versus scatter wind. And, um, so it just, I, I tried around with all kinds of different stuff. And then I, I made an auto winder, you know, because, you know, when you get into the sixties, later fifties and sixties, Fender and Gibson, you know, well, Gibson was, was auto winding from the start, but, um, but, you know, some of the stuff was hand wound and some of it was machine wound. And so I tried to figure out that, because to me, if I wound a pickup and it was absolutely perfectly layer wound, it just, it's very fundamental and it's not what I'm looking for. Um, it doesn't have that compression and that bloom on the note that I like personally. So, uh, 
so it took a couple of years with me just trying different stuff to kind of come up with my recipe of what Ron Ellis pickups are, you know. So I'm just going to, just to make sure people understand this. So, you know, you have a full-time job doing scientific work, and then you also have, you know, the pickup winding that you do. And because of your background, you were able to analyze old pickups and when you decided to start making pickups, you could use these same type of scientific methodologies to try all sorts of different permutations and figure out what what sounded right. Uh, and instead of relying on, well, voodoo, you know, or just or just chance, because it's one thing to make one good sounding pickup. It's a whole nother thing to make a lot of great sounding pickups. That's that's a lot more difficult. So. Is, it, is this a good time to mention uh, the Blackguard book? Is this about the time that you were also getting involved with that, with doing research on that? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for bringing that up. It, yeah. So that was actually back at kind of the end of the Hamill, uh, you know, uh, relationship. Um, Nacho got a hold of Alan yeah. because of Alan's background with, uh, you know, Telecasters because, because Alan was really, he knew his Telecasters. Yeah. And, um, and then, you know, Nacho had gotten some of the Blackguard pickups and really liked them. So, um, so yeah, so then because of my background, um, you know, I was introduced to Nacho and then I helped with the pickup section of that book. You know, Nacho sent me a uh, big old box of pickups from Esquires to Telecasters. Um, some were still working and some were not. So I was able to take the ones not working apart and took those to work and then we did analysis on them you know, we shot them in the spectrometer um, and we looked at the wire composition and the magnet composition in those those pickups bridge pickups and neck pickups wow that's that's yeah. invaluable information to be able to take those uh those examples and uh, you know yeah how many people have have access to a bunch of you know, working and non-working pickups where you can, where you can examine the magnets and the way they were wound and the type of wire and everything. Wow. Yeah. Well, you know, the thing is there, there's different ways you can do analysis on the materials. I mean, you can buy off eBay, you know, a spectrometer for a couple thousand dollars. It's a really low resolution uh, spectrometer and uh, you can get a rough idea of what the materials are. You know, when you look at, say, like an Alnico 3 magnet, um, when you get into the real high-end analysis, like the machine that I was able to use is, is a multi-million dollar machine facility. Um, you know, and when you do the analysis on those materials, you have to know how to prepare those materials. Because if you just take a magnet and you take sandpaper or put it on a grinder, or a file or whatever, and you look at that where you took off the oxides that are on there, now you're looking at what you used to clean that off. Because um, you're looking down the molecular level, you know, and so you have to know how to prepare that to get it ready to do the analysis on it. And depending on the machine you use, there's different resolution levels. And the real high resolution uh, machines that you use goes into cracking patterns and, and all these crazy things that really break down exactly what it is. And so I think I had an advantage with that because the spectroscopist that ran that, you know, works for the CIA, the FBI, 
most of the time I'd go up there to use the machine, there'd be tape around there where you couldn't enter because the CI, he was doing work for high-end stuff, you know, so brilliant guy. Um, so he helped a lot with breaking down all the different materials. So I took magnets, wire, base plates, saddles, um, strings, old strings, and, and just did analysis on all that stuff. So at least I had a good idea of what it, the materials started out with, right. you know, because there's a lot of great information on the internet, but there's a lot of great information, you know, uh, wrong information on the internet that yes. gets thrown around. And, you know, it's like, we could go into so many areas about this, but like, you know, you take Alnico five magnets, you know, you'll get a lot of people that will say, well, I really like Alnico five magnets. Well, what manufacturer are you talking about? Where do you get them from? Because I have Alnico five magnets from five different suppliers in the shop there. They all sound different because if you do analysis on them, the ratios are all over the place. Right. You know, especially if you're getting magnets out of country, which is where 99% of the magnets come from anymore. So even though they say it's an Alnico three, two, three, four, five, whatever, even in the same batch or from batch to batch from the same company, those ratios change. So that's what I've always done is I, when I get new batches of magnets, we test them. Yeah. And, and I see over and over where I've, I've also boxed up magnets and I've sent them back because they're not even close to being an Alnico three or two or five or whatever I'm looking for. So, um, it, it sounds, you know, just to, to kind of drill this down a little bit, it, it, it to me, it, it sounds like you've got the recipe, you know, which says, you know, so many cups of flour and sugar and all these other things. And then you have, okay, what kind of flour was it? What was the composition of the flour? What was the composition of, you know, of the cocoa? And, you know, what kind of eggs were they? And you drill down to a whole nother level of being able to replicate something when you're able to look at this is the recipe and then this is what kind of flour or whatever else that that was used actually in it if you really are wanting to replicate this rest you know this uh cake or old pickup so yeah yeah, yeah it's kind of like what you're talking about is like i think we've talked about this grandma's cornbread yes <laughs> you know it's like yeah. we all know what's in cornbread yeah you know the, the recipe for it but man my grandmother made the best damn cornbread in the world yeah. You know, and it's the way it's all put together. It's the ingredients. It's how fresh the ingredients are. Um, but yeah, that's it. Yeah. I mean, it's it's really all over the map. And it is. It's it's taking the materials and it's putting it together in a recipe. But the biggest thing is, okay, so you may have what you have on hand. And if you really don't know what those materials are, you can put it together and you can make a great pickup. But if you don't know what's in there, that doesn't mean that you can repeat that. Right. And that's the biggest yeah. thing that I've found, like, you know, like from Fender, current Fender or whatever. It's not to say that you can't get a, a American standard guitar off the shelf that sometimes sounds surprisingly great. But then you pick up the next one and it's it doesn't. And there's a huge inconsistency I see in the larger manufacturers um, where they're just grabbing the shipment comes in, they put it in that box, they grab it and they build it into that and it goes out the door. Right. They're not breaking down and, and holding a consistency from batch to batch. And that's the hardest thing to do is to try to do that, to reproduce where somebody has a set of my 
52 Blackguard pickups. Um, and they say, hey, I'm having another guitar built or whatever. I want that same exact pickup. Well, of course, that next set's going to sound different in that other guitar. Absolutely. Because the guitar has so much to do with that sound. But at least I know that I'm delivering the same pickups. Yeah. And I've learned how to make them consistent because you got the magnets and then you've got the wire that if I buy 42 gauge wire and nominally it's, you know, 0. 0.0027 in, in size, that'll range all over the place. It'll go as thin as 43 gauge wire and it'll go thicker towards 41 gauge wire and off the same spool. Right. So you have to know what to do. So I check the, the, the coils as I'm making pickups and batches, about every third pickup, I'll get out the calipers and I'll check and see what the diameter of the wire is. And then before I break the wire off and I call it the final wind, I test it with a meter and I make sure that it's, it's within those, you know, that, that range I'm looking for. And also the inductance plays a big role. So you, you know, I pretty much know when the diameter of the, of the wire changes, you know what to look for and where that sweet spot is for the inductance, which plays a big role. Um, you know, really the output of the pickup is kind of the, the less of the important part. You know, it, I mean, everybody references to that. Is it a hot pickup? Is it a thin wine pickup? But in reality, a lot of times when you hear your favorite players playing what you think is a hot pickup, like Stevie Ray Vaughan, Stevie didn't like hot pickups, you know, because his hot was the end of the chain, cranked amps wide open. Right. So if you took a hot pickup and you run it into the front of those amps, the way he's running those amps, it's, it's not his sound. It's mush. It's a mid-rangey mush. Yeah. It's mush. So, yeah. so that's the thing that's hard too, is, you know, dealing with customers where they, you know, Hey, I want a hot pickup. And then it's like, well, what do you mean by hot? You know, yeah. when, so I try to talk to them about their chain, you know, are, are they, are they really a player? Or are we talking to a guy that's in his bedroom playing through a, you know, a 12 watt amp. So that's the thing is just trying to, you know, to be consistent on the pickups that I make and be able to, to know that I'm sending those out and they sound 98%, you know, the same. Yeah. Each set. I, th I think it's important for people to understand the, you know, the, the amount of care that's put into you know, creating the pickup, but also in keeping the consistency, you know, the fact that you're having to, you're having to check all your ingredients, you're having to check your magnets, you're having to check your wire, you're having to, as you go through the spool of wire, that that's, that's just part of the process. And that's the only way that you can get consistency is to have to check all those things over and over again. You do? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, you know, I mean, that's what I'm fighting right now is, you know, we're, we're, we're expanding, you know, my son, AJ works uh, with me. He's worked with me for a number of years, actually. When he was in high school, he was making bobbins for me, you know, and then he went off to college and, and now he's back kind of helping run the business. And um, we're trying to expand, but I'm a stickler and I'm really hard to work with. Um, and it's hard for me because I'm not a businessman. So like AJ is, he took business school. He's a finance major. And so he is looking at it from dad, we have to grow this company. You know, if we're going to take orders, we have to deliver the orders on a given amount of time. But on my part, 
you know, I'm trying to keep the consistency and the QC and we go at it because it's, you know, I understand, you know, we're, we, we have to grow, but we have to do it in a way that we crawl before we walk and walk before we run doing this right. thing. And, um, you know, we've made mistakes recently. We've sent out wrong pickups to people, you know, because uh, there's AJ, there's Grant uh, is also working with me. It's my daughter's boyfriend. So that's convenient. And Hunter, who is a, a college friend of theirs. And these guys are great. You know, they're very excited about the business. Um, they're hands-on people. They really like working on the pickups. And, but we all go around and we QC each other. And we make sure that as we expand and as we grow, that every single step we do, you know, is checked. And then when the bobbin comes from the guy that builds the bobbin and he hands it over or puts it in the box to the person that's winding it, um, then that person that picks it up and winds it has to look at it and QC that again and make sure that that person QC'd it right. And uh, so it's it's a struggle, but we're getting there. So yeah. So yeah, just to make sure. Yeah. So we we co did we cover everything with with Nacho in the Blackguard book? We get get uh, yeah. Yeah. So that so yeah, I did that and like in the Blackguard book, there's the pickup section, which I helped a little bit on that you know, um, discussion about what the pickups were and the variances between the magnets and all that. Then in the back of the book, you can see there's a spectral analysis. Okay. Um, and those are the sheets that we did at the spectrometer. So, okay. um, and that was fun. And that, that was also a good launch for me too. It kind of forced me to do that and do the analysis on it. So I just continued from there, yeah. um, you know, to do that. And and, and then work that into everything that I do with my pickups. How did you, uh, how did you get involved with the uh, Julian Lodge? Cause you've, I mean, he's played a variety of instruments of the last couple of years, but it, it seems the one consistent thing is he seems to have your pickups in uh, most of the guitars that he's played in the last five or six years. So how, how did your relationship begin with, uh, with Julian Lodge? You know, that actually started with Dan Strain. Okay. So, Dan had built him um, a Dano caster and I don't know what pickups were in it when he got it, but um, you know, Julian used the guitar for a while and then he was getting ready to do uh, arc light. Yes. And uh, which is probably my favorite record he's made. Right and uh, yeah, it's great. And so he, he really liked the guitar, but then he got a hold of, of Dan and said, you know, is there any pickups you know, get your opinion on, is there any pickups that kind of have the old vibe, you know, the old sound? And Dan said, call Ron Ellis. So um, Julian and I, you know, we became quick friends. We put those pickups in that guitar. He did that. He used that guitar on Arclight. And, um, and then, you know, he started getting into nacho casters after that. He has a couple nacho casters that has my pickups in them. Yeah. Um, and because early on, I was doing pickups for nacho. Uh, for a year or two. And, uh, and then now actually um, his wife is playing that Dano caster. She's using that guitar a lot. Right. Margaret uh, Glass. Margaret. Yeah. Glassby, that's right. And yeah. uh, so, um, yeah. So then, you know, Julian, then, you know, he, we talk all the time. He's a great friend, absolutely monster, you know, musician. And, uh, and then so he 
been almost a couple of years ago now. He um, he borrowed Jeff. I think it was Jeff Tweedy's um, uh, Duo Jet, and uh, was going to do some recording with it. And then he called me up one night and he said, "Hey, I get your opinion on this." He said, "I really love the Duo Jet. Um, a lot of it. There's parts I don't really like, and there's parts of the Dynasonic pickups that I really like. The way they cut through, there's a clarity to them." But there's also parts that I don't like that are harsh. And he said, would you be willing to work on a set of like, you take the Dynasonics and do your thing to them. Put that Ron Ellis dust on it, I guess, whatever. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so you know, at the time I'm, I'm always busy and I said, well, I'll start working on it. So he sent me actually the guitar. And, uh, and I had that here for, I think, a couple of months. And then I bought some Dynasonic pickups. And if you look at a Dynasonic pickup, the originals, it looks like a, an Offenhauser Indianapolis car racing engine. You know, the, the magnets are real long. They're, they're quarter inch in diameter. And if you look at any pictures of the old duo jets, you know, the, the pull pieces are adjustable with the screws. And if you look at those, the magnets are always cranked way down into the pickup. Right. Because the magnets are so big and so strong, Alnico 5 magnets. So I just started messing around and, and uh, we ended up buying a laser cutter. So um, I was able to try some prototypes. So I, I basically took out the adjustability part of it and I came up with a stagger, um, had some pickup of some magnets that were made um, specifically for, uh, for these. And uh, just kind of cleaned it up, you know, and, and then I kept sending these. Um, and then, and then also uh, Collings, uh, Julian worked with Collings on coming up with their version of uh, kind of like a duo jet, but making the changes that Julian wanted to make to it um, versus the original duo jets. So we had to work closely because the, as the pickups are designed right now, they don't adjust. There's no pull piece adjustment. So Collings came up with a really nice platform that is adjustable up and down that the pickup sits on. So therefore you can, you can adjust the pickup. So, um, so yeah, so Julian, that project took like a year and a half and, um, and we tried different prototypes. I think there was like four or five different prototypes made that they would send out. We tried to pick up send, I'd send those back. And, uh, and then we settled on what the guitar is now, which is a fabulous guitar. I mean, it's yeah. absolutely the crazy thing is, is everybody has seen Julian play the guitar. Julian's way of fantastic playing. Um, a good friend of mine, Jeff Ruiz, uh, fantastic player. Um, I mean, he, he sounds like Jimmy Page. He sounds like Eddie Van Halen. He can do all of that stuff. And I mean, exactly to the same touch of those guys. It's crazy. And he lights that thing up. And he can sound like Van Halen. Um, we both said when we were, he was doing some Page stuff that if Jimmy Page ever played this guitar, he'd flip over it because it, it does the great traditional sounds, but it's got this harmonic content because the guitar is semi-hollow and it's very acoustically alive, um, super balanced. And with just with the pickups coupling with that, it's just a crazy good guitar. Wow. So, that was a fun project with Julian and Collings. Um, 
we worked really well together as a team building that guitar and a lot of fun. So, uh, but yeah, you know, you know, Julian uses my pickups in a number of his guitars and, um, and it's been a great relationship. He's a great guy. Yeah, which, which models does he use in the, in the teletype instruments? So he's got, um, I think in the Dano caster, that was a broadcaster that's in the bridge and a standard plus neck. Um, and then in one of the nacho casters, I think in both nacho casters, he has a 52 T bridge. And, um, and then we came up with, Julian has a, a 54 refin telecaster. And, um, I think he really prefers the neck pickup in it. I haven't really heard him talk too much about the bridge pickup. Um, but he really liked the, the neck pickup in it. And so he called me up and he said, Hey, and he explained it, that the, it, the neck pickup has this very acoustic and almost like scooped mid. Um, and it's and on the almost on the verge of microphonic also. So very lively. And uh, so he said, could you make up something? What do you think about that? So and he was even, you know, clear back in New York. He was like, here, I'm, I'm sitting here holding the guitar. I'm plugged into the amp. And. You know, an old great Telecaster, when you clank it back into the bridge position, it gets that clank that we right. all love. Yeah. And when he would push it over into the neck position, it would do the same thing. So the neck pickup was very alive and, and uh, like I say, on the verge of microphonic. So I played around with a, you know, a lightly potted, low wind pickup, trying different magnets in it. And we came up with the JL uh, neck pickup. And that's been very popular. Because Julian has a lot of fans, yeah. so a lot of people want the same pickups that he's playing. So I think, I think in one of the uh, nachos, he's got um, a standard plus or a mid tall, and then he's got the JL and the other one. I think he's got three nachos, and then in one of the the uh, the nachos, he has a P90 in the neck, and so I sent him a pickup for that. And he was over in Europe, I think, at the time, or just going over to Europe. And my P90s are very traditional. You know, they've got a little bit of background noise, as all P90s do. And so he tried it over in Europe. And because the clubs were so noisy over there, he actually had to put in a silent Fralin stack pickup yeah. that he really likes in that guitar. Um, so, uh, yeah. So that's kind of the cross-section of what Julian has, you know. Yeah. So what are, uh, what are your most popular uh, pickups? So what, what do you have the, the most orders for? You know, it's funny. It's like we were talking about that here a couple of weeks ago that um, as we were getting pickups ready to go, it's, it's across the board. I mean, it okay. used to be that the 50, 60 strats are really popular because that if somebody contacts me and says, look, I want a balanced set of pickups and I've got an alder guitar with a maple board or a maple neck, or I've got ash with rosewood or, or whatever. And they're kind of undecided with what they want. They're kind of leaving it up to me. Um, I'll always go with the 5060s with yeah. the fat bridge because it's a perfectly balanced set of pickups. It works in any kind of wood. Yeah. And, and, and those again are, the, are, are a mix of magnets where they have the, the fives yeah. on the, on the, the low strings and it has the Alnico three on the, on the highs. Yeah. That, that's a, it's a great, strat set and so and that came from the fact that you made that 5060t 
bridge pickup for Brad. And, and it, I guess that, that mix of magnet thing came from that. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty yeah. much, you know, and um, it just works. It, it just, it's yeah. a nice, you know, cause we tend to want the crisp tighter sound on the bass strings. You don't really want a woofy, right. you know, uh, sound, but you still want the wood texture and timber and so that really gives you that coming off the wound strings. And then A3s work, normally they work really well um, on unwound strings, especially on the, the E and the B. Um, and, but then again, you know, there's nothing like a good set of all Alnico fives, like the old, you know, early sixties, um, late fifties to early sixties uh, strap pickup. So just depends on what the customer wants, what they're yeah. looking for. So, yeah, so you've got, you know, you've got a variety of Telecaster type pickups, you've got the Strat type pickups, you've got uh, P90s, you make, you know, humbuckers, now you make the, the Dynasonics. Uh, is, is that kind of the full, the full line at this point? Yeah, you know, there's, there's uh, some folks in Nashville that I'm working on Firebird pickups for right now. Ah. And uh yeah, I won't mention any names, but a pretty big player that's there. Um, we're trying some stuff. He has a custom shop, Firebird, that right. he eats the pickups. So I'm working on those. Mini buckers. I've made mini buckers for some people. Um, you know, I mean, I can get some of the parts, you know, off the shelf. A lot of the stuff you have to have made. And yeah. um, like the Dynasonic pickups, I mean, pretty much everything in those are custom made. And uh you know, the covers I'm actually buying, the covers I'm actually getting uh, through the supplier that supplies Lindy Fralin. And so Lindy basically owns the rights to those covers. So I buy those covers from Lindy, actually, thanks to Lindy, uh, to let myself and Collings, you know, use those. So it, it's always a, a shuffle trying to figure out where to get, you know, the parts, correct parts. A lot of times you just have to pay the money and get the stuff made. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I make... Uh, I get a lot of questions on the 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 Dynasonics, which I'm calling the Ellisonics. Yeah. Um, and again, those work like I'm getting a lot of Gretsch guys that are wanting the Ellisonics for their Gretches. And um, the problem is not a problem, but but right now I'm figuring out the shim sizes. And so what I'm going to do is is offer that pickup, same pickup as the JL pickup, um, but shims three different stacks of shims. So you can, you know, that's the adjustability on them. We'll be introducing those uh, probably in a couple months. Those will be for sale. But yeah, right now it's pretty much Telecasters, Strat, P90s and Humbuckers. So, so if, I, if I had to force you to pick, uh, you know, of the pickups that you make, which are your favorites? I mean, I'm a Telecaster guy Yeah, all the way. That's kind of how I started this whole crazy thing. Um, and I mean, if I had to sell all my guitars, I've got great guitars all the way across the board. But I mean, I would probably keep, you know, uh, these two tellies behind me, you know. Yeah. Um, and uh, but then again, I guess it goes back to also, you know, what's my recipe? I, I just make what I like. You know, what I've tried to do over the years is... Uh, I mean, I make, you know, in any of the pickups, I try to make what's historically correct. So like in strap pickups, I make 54s, 57s, uh, 64s, 
that's pretty much like the range of, you know, vintage correct pickups. And I make those to sound like particular guitars that I've played from that era. Um, and, and then I make the 50s, 60s, which is a hybrid set. And I make the mid 60s, which is like the 64 set, but overwound for the guys that do want more of that bumped mid range. Um, so I try to just offer what is really usable. You know, there's so many of these makers out there that they make 54, 55, 56, 57, 58. Well, there's really no changes during those times. I mean, there's a little bit slight stagger changes. Um, but, you know, the first year was form bar wire with A3 magnets. Then early 55, they changed over to A5 form bar wire. That held out up into the early 60s. Then it went to enamel wire. And yeah, there's variances in output levels. But again, I think that was more related to the thickness of the wire. You know, I think there were definitely different amounts of wines that were on those pickups over the years, but mostly it's because of the diameter of the wire that dictates what the final output reads. So I've just tried to stick with a simplicity of a guy can call up and he can say, I've got this strat and here's what I like. And so I can offer all those ranges of historically what was used in Fender guitars and then a couple of hybrid sets. But, uh, but I always go for, again, those guitars that I liked, where it's more, and I've used it, that analogy, I think, which is a funny one, of like a slow motion of a pebble or rock going into water. You know, where you see the pebble come down, it pulls the surface tension down, and then the rock goes into the water and it splashes back. And that's that buoyancy and that bounce that I think we hear and feel in old pickups. Yeah. You know, and... It's, it's what you want to hear because it, it, it feels like a responsiveness, you know, it, it feels like it's, it's reacting and it's, and it's pushing back some, and that's what, that's what you want to hear. You want that note bloom. And uh, yeah. And that's what's sometimes you have pickups that are just way fundamental sounding. They just have, you know, they don't have a lot harmonic. They don't have much compression to them at all. And those, you know, if you're running through a, a huge amount of effects and a, and a, and a really loud distorted amp that might be the best thing for you to do but if you're not doing that you want to have that reactivity and uh yeah you want compression you want you yeah you want things to be smoothed out and, and react to because that's what inspired you when you played that broadcaster because it was it was it was like it, it felt like it was interacting with the amp yeah exactly you know and and i look at the whole it's a whole package thing you know it's like you know, you hear people say that, well, it starts with the player, which it does. I mean, you know, you take a great player, they can take that fundamental guitar and they can make it more compressy and bouncy and, and all that because of their hands. Because typically the great players that are out there all have super light touches. That's the funny thing is even, even I, I, I've talked to people that knew Stevie real well. And that was the funny thing about Stevie Ray Vaughan is that he, you know, he looks like he's just like ripping the guitar apart. He had a super light touch and even with those big old strings. And so the way that those guys, you know, handle the guitar and touch the guitar is going to be different compared to somebody who, you know, has a medium attack or a heart attack. Um, so, yeah. I was, you know, 
a brief aside on Steve Ray Vaughn, I was so surprised when I found that he used a Fender medium pick. And it was that that's very telling because you can't beat the guitar up with a Fender medium. No. I mean, you would just, you would destroy the pick in, in no time and I mean, it wouldn't work. It would just be flappy sounding. So yeah. he had to have some, even though he was strong, he still had finesse, you know, with, with both hands you know, to, uh, to stay in tune and also, you know, have control over that. So. Yeah. Well, you can see it. Like I watched just a couple of weeks ago, there was nothing on TV. So I found the Austin city limits, yeah. you know, uh, you know, where it shows him like early on and it shows him later on. And, and, you know, when you watch him doing even tightrope and all those, the way he holds his hand is just like butter. He's barely holding the pick and, yeah. and uh, yeah, you know, and then, and then the other thing too that's different with different players is like Josh Smith. Josh has a lot of my pickups in his guitars. He's a really good friend, and and you know Josh plays tuned all the way up, and he uses thirteen through I think it's fifty six strings. So if you take my fifty two T bridge and you take it out of my guitar with tens, and you put it into his guitar, it sounds totally different. Yeah, because you got those big old strings. So that's another thing with voicing or getting getting a specific sound is the player's touch the size of the strings they use um and all that but you know then it's going back to the whole package thing it's i don't know the older i get the more i learn it's just it's the whole package it's yes it's the player but you know it's like even bukovac uh tom on his channel here a couple weeks ago he was commenting on that that Somebody said something about it's it's all in the player's hands. And like he said, it, yes and no. I mean, it's yes, it's it's in the player's hands, but you got to have a good platform to play off of. You know, that's what inspires you to play is if you have that feel on the guitar and you have that combination with a great player, great touch, a guitar that really responds to their input. But then it's after that. It's you know, it's what you go through and into the amp and the way the amp receives that signal and all the way through to the damn speaker. <laughs> I mean, you know, and I think, I think there's too many people or there's a lot of people that put too much on, I got to get that expensive custom shop guitar, you know, with those great pickups, but they don't, they don't think about really the rest of their chain and every little detail in getting your sound, you know, because that, that's, the ideal thing I think that I try to do with everybody I work with is okay. Maybe you're inspired by Stevie Ray Vaughan or Mark Knopfler or whatever, but how about your sound? You know, take all that together and let's get you your sound. What do you want to hear? What inspires you to pick up the guitar and play? Yeah. So that's where, you know, then maybe I'll suggest, Hey, maybe try the 54 strat set from what you're describing to me. That's kind of the 54s and let's try it. You know, yeah, there's a, a whole aspect of, uh, of I would I wouldn't call it. Uh, it's al it's almost like being a tone therapist. You you kind of have to talk through, you know, yeah. what someone is going for and what the rest of their chain is to try to figure out, you know, w you know what would be the right thing for them. Because yeah, sometimes you can just, you know, say, oh, I want to, you know, I need a set of Texas specials because I want to sound like Steve Ray Vaughan, which again, you kind of alluded to the fact that they were, they, they were, you know, he was not using these overwound mid-rangey pickups, which Texas specials kind of are, but right. uh, yeah, just figuring out what they need. Yeah. 
Well, and it's like I, I mentioned my buddy, you know, Jeff Ruiz, uh, you know, like we're working on, he's a big Van Halen, you know, uh, fan and, and like, like we all are. And, uh, you know, so this kind of kicked up when Eddie passed away and, and then uh, Chad Underwood built uh, Jeff a couple of amazing copies of the Van Halen guitars, Frankie. And yeah. so, you know, you hear about like the old pickups that, that uh, Eddie messed with all the time. And there's all this speculation about what they were, whether they were, you know, 16 K overwound pickups or they were the broken pickup or whatever. So we messed around with trying stuff in those guitars and even in, you know, uh, Jeff Strat, just regular or like vintage style Strat, you know, like we, we put in one of the broken pickups, which is just one coil, just disconnect the other coil. Now Jeff can take that and he can plug into my deluxe reverb, you know, with uh, a cot 50 or whatever. And he can sound like Eddie with that because he's got the touch. Right. He has every bit of those nuances that Eddie did with almost every time Eddie touched the strings, he got a harmonic bloom that comes off the string. Well, that's a super light touch, eight gauge strings, you know, or nines maybe, but, um, yeah. you know, the thing is though, so we just bust up laughing when we plug in because it sounds spot on, like, like Eddie recording, you know, the songs on the record. And, but the thing is, I can't sell that pickup because it's like, we, it's like, oh, cool. We made this, but I really can't sell it because 99.9% .9 of the people can't play like that. Right. You know, so it's very specific. A lot of times with guys like Eddie and, you know, uh, and these great players, they, they've worked so much over the years developing their particular sound. Yeah. So going forward, you're, uh, you know, of course you're, you're working with your son and, and trying to get kind of, uh, yeah, a greater efficiency as it comes to producing pickups and filling orders and, and, and such. And also you're, you've got a website you're going to be, uh, be launching soon. Yeah, that should be up maybe in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, we're just finishing that up. A good friend of mine's building that for me. And um, we're just kind of doing the pictures now and the, the descriptions and all that, but uh, everything will be on Shopify, uh, which will make life so much easier for our orders. And right. uh, yeah, we're excited about that. And, you know, and on the website, we'll have, I'm going to try to put up like once a month video, you know, just about installing the pickups and about certain things, uh, you know, just kind of helpful, you know, talk and, and examples. Um, and, you know, and then hopefully have, you know, some people, we're moving into a facility, a workspace, uh, probably next month, we'll have that. So we'll be able to, to have... <laughs> probably six or seven times the amount of room that I've been working on out of my home shop. So uh, we're looking forward to all that and having guests come on and do videos and, and, you know, keep it fun. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, glad you're doing that, make, making it e easier for people to, uh, you know, to order your pickups and, uh, and uh, interact with you. And uh, yeah, fantastic. So well, it's kind of what you've done, Zach, with your, your show, you know, I think it's really cool how you go on there and you break down, you know, the differences of a Vox amp versus a Fender amp, you know, because yeah. a lot of people really haven't experienced that, you know, and it's really helpful to come up with uh, topics like that to discuss. Yeah. And, and it's just fun for me. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's it's it's funny, you know. It's like you uh, you 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 try to do the stuff that 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 you wish that someone would have explained to you years ago. That's kind of the way I look at it. It's like, yeah, why, why wouldn't you, someone have, have told me this, you know, twenty years ago? So yeah. Well, you know, I look at it like, again, there's a lot of great information on these forums, and there's a lot of misinformation on these forums, and I I feel bad for the guys that you know you read that stuff, and you and I know that. It's like you have to go down that long, bumpy dirt road, and that's time and it's money, yes, and aggravation and all that. But if so, I really try to to be honest and open and help guys, you know, and take my experience. And I'm not a touring guitarist and the greatest guitar player, but I've got a lot of experience over the years, and I really try to help people out and save them time and money, yeah. you know. Yeah, I, I think one of the other things about the about the internet, about especially the forums, is knowing who, how, you know, who can you trust and who, you know, and who can't you trust? Because there's, you know, everyone has an opinion, but some people, uh, their opinions are are more valued than others because they have done the research and the and the time, and not just bought into somebody's uh, marketing spiel. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, I mean, the whole in my business, like doing the pickups, I mean, there's, there's a lot of choices for really great pickup makers. Like I'm a big fan of, of Lindy Fralin, of Jason Lawler. I think both those guys are super honest about what they do. They make a really good product. Um, they don't talk up a bunch of hype and they don't pour out a bunch of misinformation, which I really like. Yeah. I can't say that about a lot of other pickup makers that, you know, it, they use it as like a marketing tool um, to try to sell pickups. And that's what I'm against. I just, there's too much of that out there, you know? Yeah. Well, Ron, thank you so much for, uh, taking the time to, uh, sit, sit down with me. It's, uh, you know, great to get to, you know, tell some of your story and, uh, and, and kind of get to, to learn kind of the, the how and the why, and, uh, you know, just how, how you got to this place and, and the, the love and care that goes into, uh, to, you know, the, uh, the creation of your pickups. So thank, thank you so much, Ron. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you. And, you know, Zach, you've been, you've been one of the guys, you know, that have been one of the tools I've used over the years, learning tools. And that's what I've tried to do is always be, use your ear. I always, I always have this saying, just use your ears, yeah. you know, and I've, I've tried to use that over the years and using a lot of people's opinions like yourself and so many people in Nashville and Los Angeles and artists that I've played with in helping me develop what I do. So thanks to you too. Yeah. All right. We'll see you guys later. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks.